Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan and today on The Detail... A stark warning from GPs today, a visit to the clinic is going to get more difficult as they face a major shortage. General practitioners, GPs, are a core component of our health system. They're the ones we go to for a checkup or a nasty cold or when something's wrong, but you're not exactly sure what it is. Ideally, they're the ones who are helping us to bed in good habits and who are catching things early. You know, if you need surgery, you need surgery. But regular visits to a GP who you know and who you trust might prevent you from needing surgery in the first place. But Aotearoa is in a bit of a muddle. The average GP is 53 years old, with nearly half due to retire over the next decade, and not enough doctors coming through to replace them. We don't have enough GPs. Many of those we do have are planning to retire, and we're not training enough to replace them. And this is being felt especially acutely in rural areas, in the regions. So today on the podcast... What's the story with GPs? Why are so few medical students choosing to specialise in this crucial area? And what are the implications if nothing's done to arrest this decline? Dr Brian Beatty is the medical director of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. He also runs his own medical practice in Porirua. I began by asking him exactly what a GP is. The GP is a specialist doctor or medical practitioner in the community, basically. They tend to be a jack of all trades, so they go across all disciplines from paediatrics to adult medicine to geriatrics medicine, a range of range of different areas. Um, and it tends to be the point of first stop for patients who have medical problems or issues that they want to start to sort through. So they're integral to what actually happens in the New Zealand Health Service. Um, they're specialist trained. So after you graduate as a as a medical student, as a doctor, you spend two or three, four years in a hospital. Then you do specialist training for general practice to translate that medical knowledge into the community setting. And you're, you're basically the, the, the doctor that is there often from a patient's journey from from young age to, to adulthood through to to the elderly. You used the phrase jack of all trades before, and I'm glad that you used it because I was going to use it as well, but that phrase is often used uh, somewhat disparagingly. As a matter of fact, when you're a GP, the jack of all trades aspect to it is probably something to take pride in. 100%. And, yeah, look, I, I would use that phrase, and um, some people may think that, but actually general practice is a highly skilled um, discipline of medicine. It's recognised as a specialty around the world. It's recognised as a specialty in New Zealand by the New Zealand Medical Council. There's a long involved postgraduate training that's required to become a specialist GP. And actually, um, if you think about it, seeing patients who walk in with what we call undifferentiated illness, say I'm short of breath or I've got a temperature or something's going on, you have to have a very, very attuned clinical sort of apparatus and actually knowledge base and clinical knowledge base to work through exactly what the problem is and what the right approach is to, to treat that problem. So, so to put it in perspective, I had a friend of mine who was a cardiologist. We were talking about this one day and he said, oh, I'd never be a GP, it's too hard. And he said, actually, you know, my job as a cardiologist or a heart specialist, I need to know nine things really, really well. 
And outside of that, I don't need to get too concerned. And that probably sort of sums it up. For a GP, you need to be ready for anything that walks through the door and you need to be ready to, to treat anything that walks through the door and actually might make the right decisions at the right time for the patient. Brian, if we think of a surgeon, a surgeon's skill set is required at a critical juncture, right? Like you only need a surgeon when you need surgery, but when you need surgery, you really need a surgeon. In the wider healthcare sector, what function do GPs serve? Well, they, they actually um, take care or, or, or engage in 90% of the medical care that happens in New Zealand. So GPs are responsible for 80,000 interactions with patients a day, up to 20 million interactions a year um, across 1,000 general practices in New Zealand, and there's a 5,500 GPs. So in the front line of medical care and what actually happens, the majority of care actually happens in the community in general practice. So if you have illness or potential illness or mental health problems or whatever happens, you generally go to a general practice, you'll generally see a general practitioner and, and their job is to actually provide that frontline medical care and to work out things like, do you need to see a specialist? Do we treat you as you're doing here or, or do we need to do something else? And it's across all domains. And by that, I mean, it's acute medicine where you may present with, say, chest pain, which was what we call an acute problem. It may be chronic care, that is your diabetes over a period of time or your heart disease over a period of time or your cancer over a period of time, or it may be preventative. Those things like ensuring that, that cervical smears are, are done in a timely fashion, that immunisations are done, there's screening for alcohol or family violence. So there's really three major domains that GPs work across. And in generally, they'll be the, the, the front door to the health system for, for New Zealanders. You guys are kind of like the front line when it comes to the health Absolutely. We're, we're the troops in the trenches, the front line of the health sector. And to have a functioning, um, fully staffed front line general practice or GPs working in the community is absolutely a key to the way the New Zealand health system operates. We've lost a number of GPs, not been able to replace them, and we just don't see any other avenue except external recruitment to New Zealand because we have tried our damnedest to try and get local GPs to, to join the practice. You, or rather your organisation, has released a report a few weeks ago. This was looking at the future of the GP workforce. It was a fascinating report. There was what I would describe as some pretty jarring stuff in there. Um, firstly, uh, something that you mentioned briefly just before, the number of GPs in New Zealand going into the future. Tell me a bit about that. What did, what did you actually find? If you look at the New Zealand situation, we, we have about 76 GPs per 100,000 population. Now, if you go across the, the, the Tasman to Australia, they run at about 115, 120 GPs per 100,000, and Canada's much the same. So if we think about that, New Zealand's actually running a GP shortage in terms of 100,000 population as it stands. And that's a real concern. And so what we've seen traditionally over the last 10, 20 years is shortage of GPs and, and sort of especially rural areas have been very difficult or high needs areas have been very difficult. So so that's that's the first thing. We're running at a, at a lower rate of GPs per population than comparable jurisdictions around the world. 
And the second thing that became has become a real concern in terms of a survey the college did two years ago, um, 50% of GPs are indicating they'll retire by 2030. So that's just eight years away. So we have this, this number of GPs who are going to move out of the system. So that's the second thing. Then the third thing that comes into play here, which I think is really significant, to keep the numbers we have at the moment, we need to train 300 specialist GPs in New Zealand per year. Um, at the moment, we're training about 195 per year. So we're not keeping a pace in terms of the number of GPs we're producing. So there's, there's really a number of factors that are going on here that I think has produced a very, very urgent issue Gee, okay, so let me just lay that out all in one sentence just to make sure that I've got this right. So, A, as things stand at the moment, New Zealand has way fewer GPs than comparable jurisdictions, and we've talked about the importance of GPs as, as sort of front line, the front line of the health system. We have way fewer GPs than comparable jurisdictions. B, a large number of the GPs that we do have are planning on retiring in the short to mid-term, really, and see the pipeline of GPs to replace those GPs that are going to retire and that we are already short of is way below what we would need even just to maintain replacement rates. Is that pretty much the situation? That's exactly the situation we've got at the moment, and that's what our, our surveys have shown up. Yes. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Maybe first of all, we'll look at those training numbers. Why are people not training to be GPs? Look, there's a number of reasons that we've identified, and there's four basic reasons. Reason number one, in medical school, there's very little exposure to general practice. So you, a lot of what you do is hospital-focused, which is a very different style of medicine. Secondly, when doctors graduate, they're expected to spend two to four years working as junior doctors in a hospital system. Now, during that time, they're meant to rotate out into general practice for three or four months to get exposure to general practice. But what we've found is across the country, the DHBs haven't instituted that within their junior doctor program. Therefore, the junior doctors are again primarily exposed to hospital-based medicine. So by the time you come out the end to make a choice about what your specialist training would be, whether it be general practice or hospital-based medicine, your main exposure has been to hospitals, mm -hmm. not to general practice. And that's really, really problematic in terms of perception. The next one that arises that everyone has to go into a specialist training scheme in hospitals that could be surgery or cardiology. In the community, that's general practice. If you choose to go into general practice, what's actually arisen over time is there's now a very pay differential between training in the community and training in the hospital. Doctors who want to go into GP training take essentially a pay cut compared to if they stayed within a DHB and trained within a DHB. So this differential is really starting to hurt at this point, and it is an issue we have raised with the ministry and the government repeatedly. They need to address it. And then the fourth problem is recognition of specialist general practitioners when they come out the other end, that there needs to be recognition for the specialist training that has actually occurred and the fact these are very, very highly skilled medical practitioners in the system. You uh, you said at the beginning you have your own practice in Porirua. I don't know whether you want to talk about it or not, but I, I am curious, sure. you know, um, how many patients per doctor on your books? Yeah, yeah. So, so we're in a high needs practice. So Cannons Creek, we're about 90% what we call high needs in a practice. We've got about 7,000 patients enrolled at the practice. We're about 
55% um, of our patients are Pacific, 25% are Maori, and the rest is primarily refugee from the Middle East, um, Colombia, Burma, and Cambodia. So we're a very high needs practice. So yeah, we run at about one GP per 1,500 patients. And that's about the New Zealand average. Now the problem with that, at our practice, and I can talk about this with a bit of insight, is that we have very high needs patients with very complex medical problems, often with English as a second language. So it's, 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 it's a very challenging practice in terms of the medicine and the social needs and the mental health needs. And we run about 1 to 1,500. I think that number is too high. It's what the, the system is funded on. I think it should be about 1 to 1,000, 1 to 900, and that would be most of the doctors in our area would agree with that. Um, but we're funded through the system to be 1 to 1,500. That's how we get our funding into the practice. Um, a practice like ours gets very little co-payment off the patients because they don't have much money. Mm. Um, so we're totally reliant on government DHP funding, essentially, um, and that funding is based on the number of patients who assign up to the practice, which is a New Zealand average. And that certainly, I think, doesn't serve the, the area well, that we need more doctors to serve as a highly complex um, patient base. You have to be yourself. In the early days as well, we still did a lot of home visits, so we travelled to all sorts of places in the middle of nowhere to see people. Dr Fiona Bolden is the chair of the Rural General Practice Network. She operated a clinic in Raglan for 17 years, but she did her early training in the UK. And it was fascinating to see how people lived. And I, I think that what I take from that is it's a huge privilege. I feel that you get let into people's lives in a way that nobody else does. Um, and for rural people, that's pretty significant they don't necessarily share those lives with anybody else. Um, so for me, it was a huge privilege. And I um, loved how different people could be. And, you know, all the sorts of um, peculiar ways that people had of trying to address their health needs. I mean, examples are like, are like when I, I went on a visit in the Yorkshire Dales um, to an old man in the middle of nowhere who had pneumonia. And that when I walked through the door, the first thing that struck me is, was the terrible smell, and he had been wrapping raw bacon round his neck to heal himself from his chest infection because in that area, the old wives' tale said that if you wrap raw bacon round your neck till it cooks, that you'll get better from your chest infection. So these kind of things um, are just, are just uh, they're the gold, really, these funny little stories that keep you going, and I've had so many of them during my time you really get to know people and you really understand how people fit together and how they fit within the community and what your role is within that. So you have an, op an opportunity then to help people in a, in a way that you would never be able to do if you were in hospital because you understand their contact, your context, that where they've come from, you know, what their beliefs are. You will have often learned them over a long period of time and, and so you may have known them before they ever became unwell or before the, particularly with mental health issues and dementia and things like that, mm. it's a really important part of the job to actually really know something about those people over a long period of time. How acute is the shortage of rural GPs? I mean, is, do you actually consider this a really a, a serious problem in New Zealand looking at the mid-term future? I think it's a serious problem now, and it has been for some years now. We already have communities that have no access to a GP at all. 
Um, there's several areas that I can name um, where I know this is happening. Um, we've been really dependent on graduates from overseas mm. to prop up uh, rural areas for a long period of time now. Um, and we've gone for, you know, years and years with not actually training enough GPs, let alone rural GPs. Mm. So it's already a crisis. There are already people who can't access a GP. And even if you can access a GP, that you might need to wait for a really long period of time to see one. And the chances of actually being able to get long-term care with the same GP in rural areas um, are massively reduced compared to what they used to be. What are the implications for communities, particularly isolated communities, of not having your own local GP? All isolated communities, all people, need um, access to medical care. And uh, although that may not be equal to what you might get in an um, urban area, then, in other words, you know, you might not be able to just pop in in the same way. Mm. You still need to have it because uh, otherwise we're looking at rural health outcomes being completely different to urban. Um, and we are a country that's really, really dependent on rural communities for the income of the, of the country. And this is not a small amount of people. We're looking at, you know, large numbers of people who live in rural areas. So I'd say, well... Um, okay, you might not be able to get your chemotherapy done, you know, um, in the middle of nowhere. That that is accepted to some extent, but that doesn't mean to see, say you can't get basic medical care. Brian, we've gone through, you know, the laundry list of issues that the sector kind of faces. Let's get into possible solutions here because it strikes me that this is a big deal. You can't just magic up hundreds or thousands of uh, general practice doctors if the pipeline isn't producing them. I'm presuming that, that bringing in more GPs from overseas could help with this, but you don't necessarily want to rely on that, do you? So what what needs to change and, and how quickly does it need to happen? Look, that's a really good question. And you're right, we can't rely on the overseas supply of doctors. What we've got to understand is we're in an international marketplace because there's a shortage of doctors across the globe, especially in developed countries. Um, so we need to produce more GPs within New Zealand. So what needs to happen? Yeah, and and there, there's several things we believe needs to happen. Number one, possibly increasing the number of medical students going into medical school so your supply starts to step up a bit. Number two, there needs to be more exposure in undergraduate years to general practice. This has been underdone in the medical schools at this point. It's a responsibility of the universities, but they need to ensure that medical students are exposed to general practice as well as hospital medicine in the undergraduate years. Once we move about to those junior doctor years, there has been a, a, a thing put in place that three to six months of the first two years out of medical school in the hospital system needs to be done in the community. That was a responsibility of the DHBs. It never really happened because they weren't funded for it. That needs to be rectified because what we know is if you have more exposure to general practice in those years, you tend to choose it as a specialty. So we need to up the number of um, these junior doctors coming through who want to do general practice. Mm. They need more exposure in those years. That are responsibilities of DHPs up until this point. It will be a responsibility of Health New Zealand to ensure that that happens going forward. The third part that's really, really important is we need to have pay parity. 
we can't have a situation where there's an uneven playing field when these junior doctors have got large, um, you know, student loans, and they are very large when you come out of medicine. Uh, we can't have a situation where you have this, this lack of pay parity, where if you choose one specialty route, you are paid less by the government than if you choose another specialty route in the hospital by the government. And remember, this is all government funding. And so that needs to be solved, and it needs to be solved rapidly. And we have been very clear with both the minister, the government, and the ministry they need to work very quickly to resolve these issues. You're right, it's a, it's a longer-term issue with getting all that lined up. However, it needs to be worked on very urgently to start to increase the number of GP trainees coming through so we can start to address some of the workforce issues we're facing here. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Dr. Brian Beatty and Dr. Fiona Bolden. Matewa. Te